that's the way it got started. Okay. You know, first of all, there wasn't really that much television. It was in the early 50s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you used to watch television in the window of an appliance store. There'd be 35 sets all on the same channel. Right. And they'd have a speaker. And if you didn't like the show, you had to change the store, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that that way that you hand wrote my name is just the way I wish I could write <laughs> by hand. I went to a handwriting, I didn't go to a handwriting analyst once. I happened to be in the presence of one and mm-hmm. she looked at my, this was many years ago and she looked at my handwriting and went pale. And I said, <laughs> what? He said, you'd rather not know. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I do have the worst handwriting, and that handwriting is what I have always wanted. Is that uh, electronically? Yeah, yeah, it's electronic. It's a program. I um, actually studied calligraphy. Oh, wow. I mean, I would spend hours making the letter A and the letter, and it was very, it was fun. I would put on great music, and I had this <laughs> lined paper, and I would just do it, and it was marvelous. Wow. Until I tried to do it, and, and it all. <laughs> a friend of mine asked me to do a menu for a buffet. <laughs> he was, <laughs> and you know the thing about it is, if you're fine all the way down, and then if you do something on the last thing, and that was the most stressful experience. Wow. Yeah, it's it's really hard. I mean, my my teacher used to be able to grade our papers in calligraphy, and sometimes we'd look at it and we'd be like. Okay, none of us can read this, but it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got beautiful it, next, but it's so beautifully. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. So I just want to, I mean, I, I would love to know if, if comedy writing and uh, what you've been doing for the majority of your life was something that you wanted to start out with when you were younger. How did you even fall into it? Well, the only thing I knew about what I wanted was to not be in my father's business. My mm. father owned an auction gallery on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. Okay. And I used to have to work there during the summer and I, I just hated it. Right. And I really, I really had no aspirations. Uh, it kind of just happened. Uh, I, well, what really happened was that uh, when I got out of college, I got a, a job from an ad in, uh, the New York Times for the WNEW radio, which back in the fifties was one of the really, it was like the premier radio station in the country. They had all the greatest disc jockeys. I mean, radio today is, is so different than that, but I mean, right. They, they had shows like the make believe ballroom that was <laughs> run by William B. Williams, who was the guy who named Frank Sinatra, the chairman of the board. 
mm. and they had the milkman's matinee which was on all i mean it was just an incredible place and i saw an ad for they were looking for a uh, assistant in the continuity department for 35 dollars a week <laughs> and i had no idea what the continuity department was but i figured at 35 dollars a week it probably didn't require a master's degree and I went to the interview and this guy talked for a while and he said okay I'm going out to lunch I want you to write a jingle mm -hmm. and a commercial and a weather report <laughs> and he walked out the door and I said oh my god what am I going to call I called my best friend. I said, I'm in this office and I, I don't know what I'm, he said, well, just do it. So I did. And he came back and it was passable and he hired me for $35 a week. And then he got a phone call from the guy he had had lunch with, which was a job interview for him. Oh, wow. And I ended up the head of the continuity department. Wow. Day <laughs> and still didn't know what it was. <laughs> and what it was was not a, a big deal and you know it was about every show had a book do a commercial here here's the copy here mm -hmm. and you had to put the book together again it was it was just right the dullest thing and then i had to hire an assistant so i in <laughs> i interviewed a number of guys and i met sam denoff he came in wow he had just lost the job as the bargain broadcaster at Klein's department store. Hmm. That job consisted of getting on and say, attention shoppers, <laughs> we have received a truckload of sneakers from, and he once said, attention shoppers, we have just received a shipment of maiden form bras and we're having a bust out sale. So they fired him. Wow. For that. And I hired him and uh, <laughs> I had started to write little jokes on the, the pages that I was putting because it was so dull, mm -hmm. you know, so if it was a, a, a commercial for seat covers, I'd make a little seat cover joke. Right. And so he continued with me to do that. And the disc jockeys were reading them and the head of the station said, uh, that's fun. Uh, that's good. You do that. And then they, we had a Christmas party and Sam and I did uh, a uh, show in the Christmas party. And this little guy came up afterwards and he said, hi, I'd like to be your agent. Wow. Nobody had ever said that. I never, we never even thought, I mean, we had been writing, we, we wrote material for, comedy teams that will never be heard of I mean, <laughs> be Martin and Lewis and none of them were and uh, but we wrote for some guys and and we started to get a little bit of a reputation and then he said I want to be a rage I said great you have a card he said no not yet I till today I was in the mail room and I I don't have my cards yet <laughs> well, even without your card and it turned out my hair is tough. That guy was George Shapiro. Oh my God. George Shapiro, who is not only one of the sweetest, most wonderful people in the world, I've but heard. probably the 
best manager that there is in the business. I mean, he discovered uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Seinfeld. Yep. And, and Andy Kaufman yep. and uh, countless people. And he was our original agent. Wow. And we were his first clients. And uh, he was a killer, but sweet. You know? Yeah. He said, the boys get $100 a minute. Not a word goes on paper without $100 down. Oh and my the God. people would say, well, wait a minute. We didn't see it. They said, you're dealing with professionals here. <laughs> <laughs> he later got moved to California and he got put in charge of the Steve Allen show, which yeah. was moving out there. And Sam and I got a job on the Steve Allen show. Wow. With, along with Buck Henry, who also was his first television job. When you when you were talking before about the comedians that you had written for that you said nobody would know who they were, how did you go about finding comedians to write for back then? Did you go into the clubs and then approach them like, hey, we can well, punch up your act? Like, uh, oh, God, not now I'm forgetting his name. Damn it. He was in high school when he somehow heard about it. He, he was on Barney Miller, the little Ron. Uh, uh, he was the I'll little cop on Barney Miller. Anyway, we, we, we wrote for him. You can find it. Yeah. Because he was brilliant. And he was in high school. Ron, Ron Carey? Ronnie, Ronnie Carey, yes. Okay. Yeah. And he, he, I don't know how he heard about us, but we wrote for him. Wow. He was a very sweet kid. And he started to get jobs. He came from New Jersey, a very close Italian family. And he was terrified when he got a job that was outside of listening to WNEW on his car radio. Okay. Because he figured if he could hear WNEW, then it was like being with us. With <laughs> so he would go like Pennsylvania and he'd go into a mountain. It would go off for a couple of minutes, then it would come back. But wow. we wrote for him. And then the, the big thing that happened is we, we, we got a job writing for a a team called Taylor and Mitchell, and they were represented by Joe Scandori, hmm. who was Don Rickles' manager. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, and he also owned or ran the Eleganti Club in Brooklyn, hmm. which was the off-Broadway version of the Copa. And oh, wow. It, wow. it had, uh, it, it had a uh, special program during the week. $25 a person for dinner, <laughs> wine, and a show and dancing. Oh, my God. And he would sell it to various groups. And you'd have groups like the Ku Klux Klan sitting next to the NAACP. So <laughs> the groups were the most diverse people. And they came in hating each other and hating him. And so he had these comics and we wrote for them wow and the first thing we wrote was it was the day that the first astronaut was launched oh wow and so we had written this piece about being an astronaut and being uh, seeing people look look like the whole thing the only thing was that nobody in the audience knew what an astronaut was. So we were doing all these brilliant. And we later, Billy, Billy Dana did it later in, in Jose the Astronaut. He used mm -hmm. that piece. But that night it died. And uh, 
you know, I always say that if you called at that time, if you called any nightclub in the country and said, is Rocco there? There would be two answers, just a minute or speaking. (laughs) (laughs) Which one? Yeah, yeah. So you you got a club with two Roccos, you know you're in trouble. Right. But they eventually caught on, and he and he was really a terrific supporter of ours. And then we ended up through him writing a piece for Dick Sean, who was a major star at the time. Wow. Yeah. And that kind of gave us uh, a presence that people started to know about us. And, and oh wow. And they, the big deal was to write for uh, 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 Alan and Rossi. They were almost, almost Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Oh, wow. And they, you, you heard, you, you, well, Marty yeah. Allen is still around, or mm-hmm. was. And uh, they were at the Copa, and we got invited by them to come with the possibility of writing for them which would have been a, a really big deal at the time. And we went to the Copa and I hated them. Really? I couldn't stand there. I what mean, was it? it was just like their act was, it was awful. I mean, oh. people loved it. I couldn't stand. <laughs> now, was it their go, delivery or the material? It was just everything about them that I didn't <laughs> like. And this was going to be a big break for us, you know? Right. It's George. I said, George, I can't. He said, let me handle it. Just don't blow it. Mm -hmm. So they came off walking through the crowd with their shirts open and their bow ties open and people slapping them on the back. And they were just so full of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I figured, geez, I have to say something here. What (laughs) do I say? And when they got there, they up to our table. He said, huh? Huh? And I said, God, do you do 45 minutes? And they said, yeah. And all I did was tell them how long they were on, and they, <laughs> they filled in the rest. Oh, wow. We didn't That's hilarious. writing for them. Oh, man. Was it so when you were writing for comics, stuff like that, did you guys have a, a like a goal in mind where you like, okay, we're going to do this for a little bit and then we're going to oh, make yeah, our way to television? Everybody was, was that. That's the way you got started. Okay. You know? First of all, there wasn't really that much television. It was in the early 50s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you used to watch television in the window of an appliance store. There'd be 35 sets all on the same channel. Right. And they'd have a speaker. And if you didn't like the show, you had to change the store, you know. <laughs> so writing for comics was the way. And the funny thing is when when George was pitching us for the Steve Allen show, we had a, we had a package of 10 pounds mm-hmm. of written material. It was like that. Wow. And they said, well, Steve wants to see some. So we packed up this thing mm-hmm. and we sent it to him. And we heard, well, Steve left before it got there. So he sent it to Charlie Sonzo, who's going to be the producer. And then we waited to hear, and he said, well, Charlie didn't get a chance to watch it, so he sent it to Steve in Las Vegas. Well, Steve left Las Vegas early, and he sent it to... It went around to everybody. Wow. We got the job, 
And on the day that I was walking down the steps from my apartment in New York to go to California, a parcel post guy came up with this package mm-hmm. covered in stamps. It was the 10 pounds of material, which <laughs> wow. no one had ever opened and had been probably a thousand dollars worth of posted. <laughs> it proved that it didn't matter what the 10 pounds of material was, as long as you could say, I got 10 pounds of material. I got wow. Yeah. How did you hear about, um, you know, Carl Reiner, Dick Van Dyke show, that type of thing? Like, what was the what was the thing that got you into the door? Well. At that time. We got to L.A. in in 60 in 60. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we did Steve and then that got canceled. And uh, I actually we wrote one joke that saved our whole career on that show because we were hired for three weeks, Mm -hmm. the three week pickup with a three week pickup with the three. So we were always going to be on the guillotine Mm. and we were getting five hundred dollars a week a piece. Mm -hmm. And I was making seventy five dollars at WNEW. Wow. And we figured we're never going to get a guarantee any better. And we either have to take the shot or not. So we had to quit. Mm-hmm. My wife was pregnant. And oh. uh, it couldn't have been more pressure. Yeah. And uh, on the third week, we wrote one joke that Steve Allen loved so much. He just laughed and laughed and laughed. And he picked us up for the whole 26 weeks. And three weeks later, the show was canceled, but he had to pay us. So suddenly we had $15,000 piece, which allowed a lot of money then. Yeah. And allowed us to stay there. And uh, what was the joke? Do you remember? Oh, God, do I remember? Uh, (laughs) I actually have, I, I, I won't take a chance of screwing things up, but. There was a show on at the time. It was the first of the medical shows. It was called Ben Casey. Mm-hmm. And it was it, it had this young kind of sexy actor, Ben Casey. And the old head of the hospital, Dr. Zorba, was played by... Uh, I'm 90. I lose names for a second. That's a common theme here. So yeah, uh, <laughs> but he was a great old uh, uh, Yiddish theater actor, and he he had hair up to there, and he actually played Gunga Din in the movie, which is so strange. oh wow, Sam Jaffe, that was his oh name. okay. So anyway, the opening of the show, there would be a blackboard, and Doctor Zorba in a medical jacket with a pointer and his hair sticking out Mm -hmm. and he would say this is the sign for man this is the sign for woman this is bite this is death and this is infinity and that was the opening of the show (laughs) so what we did joey foreman who was a great mimic Mm -hmm. god you know these names mean nothing to people but anyway he he played Dr. Zorba and he had hair that was even crazier than thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, this is a joke. 
this is the sign for man. These are chalk figures. Mm -hmm. This is the sign for man. This is the sign for woman. This is birth. This is death. This is infinity. And this is a pussycat. And there was a little <laughs> chalk drawing. And Steve Mount thought that was a funny thing. And I actually have somebody sent me a picture of that frame. Oh, wow. Which I will screw up this whole thing trying to get to. Oh, if you get it later, we'll we'll put it in post. Okay. It, yeah. It, it, it was, it, it, it really, Steve, Steve laughed. He just loved it. Oh, that's great. And so that allowed us to stay in California. It also allowed me to loan $5,000 to one of my closest friends at the time who happened wow. to get a job on the Bob Newhart show at the same time that we got our job and he got fired and he was going to have to leave and come back to New York. He was wow. a copywriter, but he, he was writing at night and stuff like mm -hmm. we all did. We'd work and do our writing at night, had right. been at Horn and Hard Arts and mm -hmm. then go to work. And his name's Ernie Chambers. And he went on to become the producer of the Smothers Brothers. Right. And uh, his he would have never been able to stay had it not been for that joke. Oh, my God. That is beautiful, man. I love that a joke did all that. It's um, funny that that things come down to a given moment. You know, yeah. say, what was the turning point? And that was it. Right. Without that joke, I'm not here. Yeah. Television would be invented and you'd be talking to someone else. <laughs> I don't know what would have happened because, right. I mean, after that, Steve went off. We, we got a job uh, on the Andy Williams show oh, and wow. we got caught in a battle between two old time killer writers hmm. who are legendary but won't the names won't mean anything to you no it's said them anyway it's good uh, harry crane was one of them okay harry crane was the funniest person on the face here he wrote for dean martin and jerry lewis and he traveled with them and he wow. was uh he was a hilariously vicious person <laughs> and, <laughs> and he was the kind of guy who you'd be at a run-through of a sh of a show and uh something would get a great laugh and he said i told you so right <laughs> so they'd hear and then if something wouldn't get a laugh and he'd say you didn't listen <laughs> <laughs> he would just, and the reading of the first andy williams show which sam and i had written about 90 percent of the show all the sketches and stuff and at the reading when the network people were there and 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 it was a you know big crowd of people and we had heard about harry and to watch ourselves because he mm -hmm. was treacherous but about on page two there was a huge laugh and harry said the boys wrote that oh wow he said to ourselves see you can try and then he never said it again <laughs> <laughs> we had written most of it everything that came next right he just indicated that was the one joke we had written. <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate we ended up getting fired from that it was just awful oh man and 
uh, it would came at a bad time. The baby had just been born. I had a rented car wow. that I was going to have to turn in. And it happened to coincide. We were going to visit two comics to see if we could write for them. And they were uh, performing at the Covina Bowling Alley. Oh, wow. Which shows you what headliners they were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I probably would have gone the same room. Down, it was just the worst experience. <laughs> and uh, it was raining. It had a rain on top of it. Mm -hmm. And we go and we meet these guys at the COVID and we go to listen to them. And every punchline, someone would have a strike and everybody would be screaming. So we never <laughs> even heard the punchline. <laughs> and the, the pen pins were falling off. It was awful. Oh and we God. sat and commiserated with them. Mm. And that was Rowan and Martin. Oh, wow. my God. Yeah. I mean, wow. It, it, the reason I, I tell this story is that a year later, they were the biggest things in the world. And that night in the Covina bowling alley, they couldn't <laughs> pay for the drinks, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and that's that's how it is. It comes from nowhere. So at any rate, we wanted to write situation comedy because that was, variety was fun, but it was kind of going out of style. Had you attempted to perform your own material at any point? I did. It, I did a little bit you know but mm. not, not not really uh i perform it to sell it you know i do sure. a piece or whatever and uh anyway the 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 biggest thing in the world was the van dyke show wow the first year it wasn't a success because it was put in a very bad time slot and uh they were going to cancel it and Sheldon Leonard, who was one of the, and you know him from yep. movies, the talk through the side of his mouth. He yep. was, he was yeah. you know, and Danny Thomas was also one of the partners that did the Van Dyke show, their mm -hmm. production company. They had a production company. We were on a studio that had five stages. We had the Danny Thomas show the Dick Van Dyke show, the Andy Griffith show, Gomer Pyle and I Spy. Wow. We had five of the top 10 shows on television at one point. That's incredible. On that little, on that little lot. At any rate, uh, so the, the Van Dyke show was like everybody, in those days you, you wrote a sample script. Mm -hmm. You can't do that today. They, they, you know, that's not a possibility because illegal. Everybody makes a big deal, and right. it has to be submitted by an agent. But then, everybody was writing sample scripts. Mm -hmm. So, the same. We also got an assignment on McHale's Navy because Tim Conway was on the Steve Allen show. That was his first television show. So we had written stuff for him and mm -hmm. he got us an assignment on Mikhail's Navy. Uh, and we had written this sample script and Carl read it and he said, your story is stupid, but I like your writing. Come in and have a meeting and we'll see what you can do. Wow. So the, the whole concept of the Van Dyke show, Van Dyke show and why it survives to this day is everything that 
happened on that show happened to somebody involved in the show right I mean, they would come in and say anything happened yeah this so and so and 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 that's where the shows were so they were created from reality yeah and the other thing carl he would not allow any jargon any you know hey that's hip or the, he said someday in the future that's going to seem old mm -hmm. and that'll hurt us yeah so that's why the show is as fresh as it is. You know, the only thing missing is there's no cell phones. And, you know, half the shows on television back then yeah. would have been off in three minutes if there had been cell phones. Oh, my God, the boss is coming. I'll call and tell no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be a, Romeo and Juliet would have yeah. ended differently if there <laughs> would have been finished and uh so the show just had a freshness and what it dealt with was human behavior which mm -hmm. really never changes you know i always said the only thing that changes is the wardrobe you know yeah the, the same a guy slipping on a banana peel building the pyramids people laugh mm -hmm. and a guy walking out of a wall street firm slipping on a banana i mean funny is funny yeah and, and it, it it just doesn't change right so at any rate i told carl when we went in to talk about a story i said well he said i want something that's real and something so i said well when my baby was born i wasn't sure we got the right kid because they kept there was another family with a similar sounding name and we got their candy and we got my wife got her dinner one night and so so i said so i wasn't i was afraid we didn't get the right baby and right then there was no dna mm -hmm. so how do you tell right and uh the only way that you could tell is if the baby was of a different ethnicity and the normal approach would have been an Asian child mm -hmm. because there would be no, you know, no racial barriers to that thing. Sure. But Carl said, because it was right at the beginning of the civil rights movement, he said, no, they're going to be a black couple. Nice. And uh, we said, fine. And we wrote the script and everything. And, and of course, cbs when they saw it they, they had a big meeting and they said well you can't do this and carl said why he said well i i know you're familiar with the show and yeah yeah at the very end when he's convinced that he's forced the other couple to come over because they had his figs and his chocolates and he said you can bring the figs and the baby and we'll give you your candy and your baby and so he had set up this absurd situation for himself and uh he opens the door and in comes an african-american couple mm -hmm. and cbs so you see you can't do that and carl said why he said well i know that there's a lot going on and, and things are changing but you can't have a white couple make fun of an african-american couple and Carl said, no, no, that's not it. It's the African-American couple 
that are making fun of the white mm -hmm. couple. And the guy said, oh, my God, you certainly can't do that. <laughs> so I said, well, we're going to do it or I'm not going to. And he made a whole big thing out of it and said he wouldn't do the show. So they let wow. us do it. And I remember when the door opened and they came in, there was a deadly silence. Mm -hmm. Carl was standing next to me and he said, oh, shit. <laughs> and then what started was the longest continuous laugh. I mean, there may have been some after, but I think it still holds the record. Continue the show. I mean, every time we'd start it again and go a step further or a line further, they'd find that hysterical. And it, it took us 25 minutes to do the last two minutes of the show. Wow. You know? wow. But at any rate, when we handed that show in, we also had handed in, uh, our McHale's Navy, and we went in for a note session at, at Universal, and it was a 35-page script, and there were notes on every, we stopped on every single line, wow. and we stopped for lunch, and Sam and I sat there and said, well, this is it, we can't do this, I mean, this is... We're obviously not good enough for this. And then we went back and we finished another three hours with this script. And we were broken and we came back to our office and we had an office that wasn't big enough for both of us. So I sat in the hall. <laughs> People <laughs> walked by and heard me talking to something. And... Uh, we sat down, defeated, and and the phone rang, and it was Carl. And Sam said, "Yeah, whoa, real." I said, "What, what, what?" He said, "He loves the show, and we can do as many Van Dykes as we can, and we wants us to come be part of the show and learn." Wow! So, in the course of the same day, we were destroyed by one guy. Mm -hmm. and given a career by a second one and that really was the turning point of, of our lives to you know when when you did the van dyke show i would be at a party and i just sit there and wait till somebody asked what i did oh and when i said i did the van dyke show it was like that old ef hutton commercial where everything stopped and then the rest of the <laughs> evening, it was all about what about where Mary did she? You know what I mean? It was yeah. It was that popular. Wow. And I and remember I, the the first year, uh, Mel Brooks and Buck Henry did uh, Get Smart, mm -hmm. and we were up for an Emmy, and Get Smart was up for an Emmy, and we won. <laughs> and <laughs> Mel Brooks got up and yelled. There is no God. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the show was just, oh, and the great fun of it was that the guy who fired us on the Andy Williams show, Andy got, got picked up to do eight shows. Mm -hmm. And after the first show, Andy said, call Phil and Sam, see if they'll come back. So oh my god i knew we weren't coming back but i made this guy what dates was that is that <laughs> let me say it's a monday right and that'll be thursday so the, the and i drove him crazy 
knowing that we would never. Oh, that's beautiful. Do it. That's hilarious. I have to read out. This is so I know these are the episodes uh, that I'm pretty sure. I know you've written on these. I don't know if there's any other ones that you wrote completely. Coast to Coast Big Mouth. Yes. Uh, 100 Terrible Hours. Yes. Uh, Bubkiss. Right. The Redcoats are coming. Yes. One of my all-time favorites, by the way. The Redcoats are coming. We had yes. Jeremy Clyde on um, like six months ago. Oh, really? Loved talking to Jeremy about the... He had great things to say about his experience uh, with that episode on yeah. the Dick Van Dyke show. Apparently, Don Rickles had stopped by during that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they had never met him before. They were just, they were like, we were just two British kids. And we had never... Yeah. No, that, was, Don that was an incredible show. So funny. Um, and what else? The Impractical Joke, another great one. Three Letters from One Wife. That we didn't do. You didn't do that one? No, but we wrote on all of them. I mean, we okay. were the story editors. Okay. So the, the truth about it is that you you used outside writers because you couldn't possibly do all of it yourself. Right. And you did a lot of rewriting. And okay. you usually gave them a story in many instances. I mean, there were some guys who were great and came in mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, did the job. But, I mean, some guy won a Writers Guild Award for a show that – he didn't have two words in except his, his name, you know? And wow. I remember another show and we always invited the writers. And the guy said afterwards, I got to be honest. I didn't think there was that much to it when I handed it in. Well, there wasn't. <laughs> I mean, the other <laughs> yeah, thing not is, that you got to it aside from the, 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 the fixing it when it came in after rehearsals, you would spend hours going over stuff that didn't work. And then, you do that twice a week at right. two run-throughs. So you changed a lot of stuff, which wasn't necessarily a fault of the writers. It was that once you saw something, mm -hmm. it was different. And you said, yeah. you know what we could do here? And in fact, when I became a director, I became a director as a writer. Instead mm -hmm. of writing with words, now I had people. Yeah. And suddenly somebody yeah. would be standing and I say, oh, my God, you're over there. Why don't we do, you know? Yeah. So the nature of the multiple camera shows like the Van Dyke show mm -hmm. was that they were really rewritten a lot. And in later years, they were rewritten too much. Right. Well, how collaborative was the Van Dyke show in terms of the writing? Because you had you had Maury Amsterdam, who was, you know, known as the human joke machine. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Maury's jokes were not usually in the style or in the the arena of the humor on the Van Dyke show. In fact, when Maury would do the warm up with the audience the show wouldn't play well because Maury was doing one-liners and the Van Dyke show was not, was no oh, one-liners. We never wrote a joke. We wrote situations happen and turned and the humor came, uh, came out of that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. A lot of that was situational and it, and it had yeah, to be, oh, it was all, you know, it yeah. to me, one of the funniest lines in the show about the wrong baby was when Dick goes to the door and Mary grabs the cradle with the baby and says, you are not taking my baby. Mm -hmm. And he <laughs> says, Laura, 
I think it would be best if you went to your room. (laughs) And you see, that was so funny. Yeah. And it wasn't a joke. It was just a guy behaving like a schmuck. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the the thing that made the Van Dyke show special and made a difference was it was the first time that a husband and wife were mutually afraid of one another. Yeah. In other words, usually it was the wife, oh, my God, what is he going to do about that? And on the Van Dyke show, he would say, oh, Laura's going to kill me. It was the first time. And then that was because Carl's relationship with his wife was that kind of a relationship. Mm -hmm. He really was concerned about what Estelle felt and thought. And so that's what the show had in it. How much of the so the other episodes um, I have are the Ghost of a Chance. Did you write yeah. that one? Yeah. One that to this day, since I was a kid, because when I was a kid, it used to scare me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And because was... I, you know, but I got the humor in it when I was younger too. Still, one of the funniest episodes of a TV show ever. Is that well, my that comes favorite from thing was when the, bed, when the folding bed. Closed on them and almost stayed. Oh my God, that is so. And and when he returns back to it and he goes, I just want to get one thing straight before we go any further. This couch was open, and then he jumps up off of it. That is hilarious. And the other the other other line too, buddy. uh, When Buddy's in bed with him, and he goes, "Uh, "Will you turn the light off?" And he just goes, "Are you kidding?" Is just perfectly just hilarious. Yeah, it was. That's not jokes. That's just right. That's just people being. And, you know, Dick was so inventive. I mean, you would write him into situations that you couldn't anticipate everything he would do, Mm -hmm. but he would find something. I mean, it was a show that Carl wrote uh, where Mary got her toe caught in the, in the bathtub, that romantic, that romantic, one romantic evening. And, uh, so Dick, she locked the door for whatever reason, and her toe was caught, and, and Dick is going to break the door down. So he he ran across the room and hit it with his left shoulder mm-hmm. and fell in pain. And then she said, you've got to get me out of here. So he started again, and he ran at the door with his left shoulder, and in midair, he switched to his right shoulder. <laughs> no one wrote that. Wow. That was just him. Yeah. And then in the hundred terrible hours where he's up to break the record of being on the air and he's really groggy and he's having a cup of coffee and he puts it down on a, on a record on the turntable. So now the coffee cup is going around and he's talking to this lady on the phone about mm-hmm. a lost cat. Mm-hmm. He keeps <laughs> reaching yep. and just, it was, it's brilliant. I mean, yeah. just, and then there was the show where the naked painting of Laura. Oh my God. Yeah. And when he's, she's talking to him about it and he's leaning over the stove in the count in the, you know, cooking counter mm-hmm. and he's just leaning over to the, the stove and he's saying, honey, he's on, you know, it's going to be all right. And she's about mm-hmm. that. He said, listen, that's what husbands are here for. Um, behind you and don't worry about a thing and she's oh you're so wonderful and he said oh that's what i'm here for and when she leaves and he gets up the hand the, the hey. grates of the oh, <laughs> God, 
Yep. Like that. That that was Dick. Oh, that's brilliant. He just he just you would sit in wonder of what he would do. Wow. Would that was that nice as a writer to have a a, a oh, team God. like actors to work God, with that yes. were yeah. Yeah. And the writing on the Van Dyke show was Carl and Sam and myself. And mm -hmm. if we had an outside writer, they'd give the script, but they wouldn't be there for the rewrites and they wouldn't be oh. there for the run throughs. And we would have a run through on Friday night mm -hmm. and we'd sit around with peanuts or whatever. And all of us, Maury and Dick and Mary, it was kind of a social thing. And we'd go through the script and, and, and fix things. And, uh, then on Monday night, we do it again, mm -hmm. a shorter version. And then Tuesday, we would shoot the show. Wow. And uh, what became the thing in, in Hollywood and in those multiple camera shows is the writer's room, which is legendary. And mm -hmm. every show had a writer's room. And that meant that those run-throughs would then go and there there was there would be about eight writers on the show staff and so they would do the writing of the shows for the most part but then when it was the rewrite time they would go in to the writer's room and they would have a secretary there and they would go through the whole script mm. and they had the menus of all the best restaurants in LA and they would call up and order $2,000 worth of food. And some of the guys didn't want to go home anyway. So they would sit for six hours in the writer's room. Wow. And laugh and break each other up. And we never did that, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and what happened is, I, I said, at a certain point, you're not making the show better. You're just making it different. There's a point where you have to say, you know what, we've had plenty of time to get the right and give the actors a chance to feel comfortable with 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 what they have to do. Mm -hmm. the, the ensemble and that cast and everything and getting everybody together. I don't see a lot of bloopers from those days. I don't know if it's just because of the timing, but what was it like? We, did we, nobody break we up? Had, yeah, we had some. We had a gag reel. But you did? It, yeah. But they were such pros, man. Yeah, I was going to say, because some of those, I mean, I can't imagine getting through some of those episodes, especially Coast to Coast, Big Mouth. I mean, the just the the large scale, everything uh, Carl Reiner was doing, screaming into the you know phone when he picks it up. You know, that not scene is considered still in the list of 10 funniest scenes, uh, you know, considering I don't know what the latest version of that list is, but it is a brilliant it is, and it was written to cater to Mary mm -hmm. and what she could do and what yeah. Carl did. And well, what was the impetus to get Carl to do it? Because up until that point, they weren't sure he was going to play um, Alan Brady, right? Because we never saw him until that point, right? No, oh no, he was Alan Brady a lot. He was Alan Brady, but we never saw his face, right? That Wasn't that the first time we saw his face? No, no, no. No? Oh, okay. Wait a minute. No, we, he, he was on. He was, yeah, now he was on... me questioning myself. <laughs> no, but he, I know this is so, it's one of those things I nerd out about all the time. Yeah, there, right? are a couple of, there were a couple of shows that, yeah, were, where he was the voice and then you saw the back of his head. And, and, uh, but no, he was in a lot of the shows. You're wrong that time. 
Okay. Let's, let's watch them all and fuck. Yeah, let's do it. Don't tempt, <laughs> don't tempt me. We'll go long. I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's, it, the thing about Carl, they decided at CBS around Christmas time that they were going to rerun some colorized versions of the Van Dyke show. Oh, yeah. And two Van Dykes and two I Love Lucy's as a mm -hmm. kind of a holiday treat. And Carl got to select what shows they would do. And the shows he picked were Coast to Coast Big Mouth and The Wrong Baby. Oh, wow. And then the next year he picked two more shows that we had written. Instead of himself, you know, he, he oh, well, he was, he was in uh, uh, October Eve, the, you know, the naked picture show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was the painter. Carpetna, yeah. Yeah. But he he was so generous, you know, and Carl wrote the first 13 shows all by himself. That was part yeah. of why Sheldon Leonard and Danny Thomas wanted to do this. Nobody had 13 scripts. Scripts were so hard to come by, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who um who did the uh when you did the Alan Brady show presents? Who came up with the the dance sequence at the you know that that um fine when musician they, bum, 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 yeah when they do that thing like yeah. all in a row and rhythmically because you yeah, did it you did it twice remember, they, I don't remember who that was wasn't me wasn't was that like a standard back then was that something that they created on the spot or because that's the only time I've ever that. seen it yeah they created that I think it may have been Earl Hagen wow the musical director the brilliant. other thing that many people don't realize is that Don Rickles his real big breakthrough was the Van As Dyke the burglar who did. I mean, people really became aware of him. Lyle Delp. Yep. Yeah. The guy who up robs them in the elevator. In the elevator with a car. Yeah. Um, and they help him get away. Who was the um, inspiration for Big Max Calvada? Just trying to use Sheldon. Wasn't it wasn't after any specific mob no, scene at the time? No, it was just doing a show with okay. a mafia kind of guy and and having Sheldon play it. Okay. And Talvada was the name of the production shop company. Oh, I didn't even Carl, put that together. Carl Van Dyke, Danny and and uh Oh was, my god. Yeah, that, that's what Calvada, the end of every show is a Calvada production. I didn't even put that together. I feel like a yeah. moron. Yeah, no. Wow, that is amazing. Um, is there any particular episode that you feel like more than anything else withstands the test of time, that it would work in any any situation comedy today? Mm, I don't know. Uh, I think the October Eve would. Mm -hmm. You know, the naked painting would. Yeah. Uh, I think I think coast to coast big mouth would work. Uh, you know, a boss and and the wife of, of a guy would work. Mm -hmm. But today's stuff is so dirty, and you know everything has to be vulgar, right. and and. and uh, I mean, we never did anything. Well, first of all, you couldn't, but it right, was, right, you know, <laughs> separate was, beds. But once you could start doing that stuff, and then and everybody was doing it, and everything was just prurient, you know. Right. 
I mean, I, the show that I never, I really resented was Girls. I, I did not like that show either. And the re, uh, one of the reasons was that they compared it to that girl. Oh, they yeah. called Lena Dunham that girl. And I no. said, no, she is not that girl. No, we, no. And I wrote a piece about it. And uh, I just resented the vulgarity of it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know any girls like that, you know. Right. And I have daughters and, and, and uh, you know, and I railed against it so much. That I was doing it during a, an interview like this. And somebody said, well, if, if you were in charge of girls, what's the first thing you would do? And I said, the laundry. <laughs> I said, that bed you could plant crops in. That <laughs> <laughs> is going on there. Yeah. Yeah. There, there wasn't one likable character on that show. That was the well, thing that was. A lot of stuff today, a lot of the dramas in particular, there is nobody to like. Right. You have to pick the least awful person, like on, on Succession. Yes. Like oh, my God. For, for that nebbish son, you know, because yeah. he's so beaten up. But he's a terrible disaster. A know? terrible you're, person. You're all awful. Yeah, absolutely. No, I know what you mean. Uh, it's it's kind of weird now. I mean, that's why the Dick Van Dyke show, I think, holds up so well, no matter what. Because you can always, you, you like all humanity. the characters. There's, yeah. There's humanity. There's, there's there's decency relationships human interaction yeah they care about each other how how closely related like what were the the writers room situations in that you know the banter back and forth how much that went on in your writers room did you no, put that into was theirs? that was that was the tone of that was from carl's background in the caesar show caesar show yeah your show of shows yeah i mean okay. they had a female writer stell diamond mm-hmm and uh, not Estelle Diamond, what was her name? Anyway, hmm. they had a woman, so he had a woman. And they had a joke guys. <clears throat> but that was all from Carl's season. Was there anybody in particular that you, you would have maybe liked to see on the show at that time and didn't get on? Not, not, nothing I can think of. You guys of. had great guest stars, too. Yeah. And people wanted to do the show. Yeah. It was a badge of uh, of honor to have a Van Dyke. It was just amazing. I mean, there were other great shows, and God knows Norman Lear broke all kinds of ground. But there was a certain majesty about the Van Dyke show. It was clean, mm -hmm. pure, brilliantly funny. Yeah. Brilliantly funny people. One of my other favorite episodes is Oni Oomphs. Oh, yeah, that was uh, Gary Marshall and, and uh, Jerry Belson. Oh, that was Dale Craven and and uh, who was his partner? Klein Schmidt and McCraven. That was. Oh, who was Gary? Who did, which one did Gary Marshall write? I just saw oh, one with Oh, God, him. are you kidding? Gary and Jerry wrote. And wrote of them, a bunch of them. Oh, one of the ones they wrote was uh, the, when he thought he had the Liberty Bell on his. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And That's we have one. the chain reaction of where he destroyed everybody else's. So, you know, well, what was the name of the magazine? Strange But True or something. Oh, Strange But True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, the duck that hadn't eaten in, in, oh. in 
10 years, ate the potato that was shaped like yeah. Mickey. My God, it was awful. Um, you were saying something backstage about Carl Reiner and the impression that he left on you. Like you said, there's a little bit of Carl in you. Yes. What was it that, that you think he, he kind of passed on to you? I think it was honesty. Hmm. And uh, it, it, it just honesty and decency. And he was very courageous, Carl. I mean, you know, he would take on anybody. I mean, there, there was a guy who was the new guy at CBS taking over programming. He came to L.A., to lay the law down to all the shows mm -hmm. and everybody was saying, Oh man, he is a bitch. This guy is just <laughs> terrible. And so he finally came to the Van Dyke show and it was Carl and Sam and myself in a room. And the guy came in with three other guys and uh, he had his coat over his shoulders mm -hmm. rather than wearing it. And <laughs> I said, Oh, this is not going to go well. Cause I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sat down and he put his feet up on the coffee table. Mm -hmm. I said, this is going to really be a disaster. And then he started pontificating and he said, I'm going to tell you now how I view comedy and what I think is funny. Mm. And he started to talk very quietly, almost like he was going over to get closer to him for this wisdom. Carl went over and he came over and he took the guy's Gucci loafer off and threw it out the window. Oh, and my said, God. That's funny. <laughs> the guy never said another word. Wow. I mean, and then. That's balls. Huh? That's, that's guts. Yeah. I mean, it was just, he would not stand. He would not stand for pretension or, or posing or and nothing like that. Wow. There was another time there was this writer who very natty guy. Mm -hmm. And if the if the fashion changed that morning, he would go to Side Devore, which was the clothes store, and he would have it. <laughs> Even if it in the morning he wore one thing and he heard something at lunch, he'd go get it. And wow. He had he was bald and he had about four strands of hair that were six feet long. Mm -hmm. And he <laughs> laced them across his head like right and i said it was like a zither you could you could play it. <laughs> and he came to have a meeting with carl and carl was staring at him he said marm don't say anything you're a very talented man but you're bald you're not fooling anybody he went over and he picked up the strands of hair and he walked across stood there six feet away he says, Marvin, you got to face it, you're bald. Then he goes, <laughs> he says, get rid of it. Wow. And he, he could do that, and, and you wouldn't be insulted because he was right. Wow. And he was oh, doing man. it in a nice way. He also loved to give haircuts. <laughs> Go to a party. I didn't know that. He's looking at you. He said, you really... The shape. Come with me. You go to the bathroom and get his scissors, and you give you a haircut. Were they good? Wow. Yeah, they were good. Everything wow. he did was good. Now I'm a little afraid. Do you think he'd, he would probably give me a haircut? Oh, you'd, you'd be out of here, man. <laughs> <laughs>
the other the other episode I love too, which I think is probably again, there's so many favorite episodes that I have. The one, uh, the auction. I have to know, did that happen to one of you? Which one? The painting? The auction. The one where they're at the auction and they accidentally bid on the uh, on an item. It was the painting. The uh, the yeah. They get the the Artanis painting. The Artanis painting. Yeah. Yeah. It turned out to be a Sinatra. A Sinatra. Yeah. Yeah. Did that happen to somebody? Yeah. Oh my God. What, yeah. That 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 whole sequence of events is so perfectly timed out. I mean, it's you can't not laugh at that. Well, one of my favorites, and it, it because it happened to me, was when he the, the case of the pillows. The uh, pillows that smelled like ducks. Yeah. He went to small claims court. That was on the other he, night. To play Clarence Darrow. Yeah, that happened yeah. to me. Actually, when I first got married, guy came <laughs> around the apartment building selling pillows, good price. Hey, great. Go to sleep. What is this? Some ducks. It smells like ducks. Guy came by another time I stopped. I said, you know, we got it smelled like ducks. He said, no, I don't think, I mean, well, my wife, he said, well, wait a minute. He went down, he got his wife, she smelled the pillows mm-hmm. and said, uh, no, not like ducks. And we had just moved in. And so I went next door and I knocked on the door. I said, hi, where are your new neighbors? And they said, oh, how nice. I said, mm-hmm. come on in. They said, great. And I grabbed the pillow. I said, smell that. <laughs> <laughs> That was where that show came from. Oh, my God. And, of course, you give Dick a chance to be a schmuck lawyer, and he'll he'll eat it up, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the he, 30 different ways he sneezes. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, and he, the way he plays a drunk and... Yeah. I mean, just everything. Right. Did you guys stay close over the years, after even after uh, the show ended? Somewhat. Dick went through a very difficult period. And right. He was, drinking a lot and uh he kind of he he did the other show in arizona where he lived Mm -hmm. and uh he drank a lot there and he was he he just wasn't i was always in touch with him i was very Mm -hmm. close with mary we were were very good friends and when she came to new york i was the only person she really knew Mm. so we spent a lot of time together and uh, oh, this is a kind of a special moment. I mean, when when she died, uh, they had a few. Her husband Robert had a funeral for her in uh, in Connecticut, where they lived. And uh, then there was another one for her in in California that Jim Brooks did, who had done the the Mary Tyler Mary Tyler Moore show, yeah. And that was very lavish. But the one in, in New York was just maybe 50 people, most of them from the uh, Diabetes Association, which she had been so involved with. And mm. Bernadette Peters, who was her best friend, was there. And she sang a song. It was really a cold, blustery day. And there were a whole stack of roses. There were more flowers than you can possibly conceive in a small place. And Robert said, you know, you know that Mary loved roses and we'd like each of you to just on your way out to put a rose on her coffin. Mm. And as I approached it, I thought, God, I I really want to say something. I, what, I just can't put the rose there. But what? 
And when I got there without thinking, I just said, oh, Rob. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. That was, you know, yeah. She was she was amazing. I I really she was really a terrific person. I loved her. And I got to tell you she would silence an entire room by walking into it. Wow. I was walking when she first got here I was walking we went down into the the Bowery to the art galleries and stuff and we were walking down the street and I happened to look back and everybody, it was like the wake of a speedboat. Everybody <laughs> was just frozen looking mm. at her. Was there a lot of room, uh, you know, true to the rumors that there was a bit of tension between her? Yes. And, oh, really? Rosemary. Rosemary, yeah. Because Rosemary thought she was going to be the star. Yes, she did. Mm. Well, it seemed logical, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, it created so, but it was, it was never bitter or you know it's just a little ruffled feathers and carl would would handle it and then we'd write a show for rosie where she sang or did something yeah yeah um that's good then that's incredible i mean I, this, this is just an amazing cast do you feel like it could have gone on longer than the five years or do you think it ended perfectly i think it was a smart thing to do yeah you know first of all they were all in such demand for movies and for everything and right and there was nothing left to prove, you know, there was nothing left to do. Yeah. Left at the top. Um, well, listen, I, I mean, I just, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been hey, it's a little over pleasure. an hour. Um, I got to ask you the big three questions that we ask every guest. What? Uh, first question is if you can go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today? Do everything that you start, finish it. Nice. Don't be afraid. Hmm. Was there something that you didn't finish? A lot of things. I I got into a thing where I I would go 20, 30 pages into something and it was so good hmm. that I didn't think I could continue it that way. So wow. I wanted to leave it. And when I died and they went through my stuff, they'd say, God, he was really on to something here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I was afraid that I, I couldn't keep up. Oh my God! The level of what I was doing, and I I regret that. Wow. Um, I also regret that I was offered a picture starring Burt Lancaster as a director. Oh my God! And I I didn't do it. Oh, I didn't do that for two reasons. It was in Dorado, Mexico, Durango, mm -hmm. Mexico, and I get sick every time I go to Mexico. Uh -huh. and the other thing is. I couldn't picture saying to Bert Lancaster, Bert, when you get on the horse, <laughs> you know. That's so great. Do that. And what else would I tell myself? Uh, geez, let me see. I'd say, don't be afraid to. I was not afraid to fail. I mean, I did stuff and failed, but there were certain things that I literally thought, this is so good, I'm going to screw it up. And I didn't do it. Uh, let me see what else. God, that's interesting. I've never, never thought about that. No, oh. and, um, don't be so concerned about women. Ah, uh, okay. You know, um, don't try to save women. Hmm. That's from understandable. 
my mother and and all of the anxiety and stuff and trying to fix things and i continued that yeah to a degree in my life and uh god i can't think of anything else Sorry, i got two more questions for you too so we got the second question might might help you out a little bit more too is Second question is what? Oh, I know what it would be. Go for it. It would be spend more time with culture. Hmm. Because I don't know a lot about the theater, and I always feel stupid. (laughs) And I find myself thinking, well, what was I doing instead of that? (laughs) I can't. (laughs) But yeah, I wish I read more. And I wish I had studied more in college and, and in school in general. I wish I had taken advantage of that opportunity to learn, to be exposed to stuff. Yeah. So I had that answer. Okay. Nice. Good. Yeah. Some sage advice. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really sage advice. Well, the, the, the thing I told my, tell my kids was if someone will do something for you, they'll do it to you. Ooh, good advice. that's a great piece of advice. The other one is don't cut off your thumb to get into an organization or any relationship because when you want to get out, you don't get your thumb back. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that one before, but I like it. I actually have a question from the from the crowd because they've been loving you. They're saying how inspiring you are, and they definitely want to have you back. Oh, okay. Somebody had just asked, "Who inspired you?" Carl. I just wanted to be as good as as he thought I was and 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 uh, to never let him down. He, he, yeah, he 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 was very important. He's a very special man. Yeah. You know, he and Mel Brooks had dinner together every night. Yep. And they would watch a movie. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a beautiful movie, friendship. The, oh, my God. Mel went to the house for dinner after Carl died. George Shapiro oh, really? would meet him there. Wow. And uh, they would watch movies, and the movies they loved had the line, secure the perimeter. They loved that. <laughs> and you better get a good night's sleep. Yeah. He loved uh, the foreign movies. That's because they had secure the perimeter. And one night I called, and I said, what are you watching? And he said, I'm ashamed to tell you. And I said, what? He said, we're watching America's Got Talent. And Mel Brooks yelled out, no, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, I, was called, I used to talk to Carl about once every two weeks. And he was always excited about something he was doing. And one, one time he said, oh, I've been working on this place. Let me read you this. And he read me a thing. He said, no, you got to... Well, you can't understand. I got to go back to. The, well, you won't understand. He ended up reading me thirty-five <laughs> pages of a play. He said, "Oh, I'm sorry." I said, "Are you kidding? How many people could say, well, I had a good day today?'" Carl Reiner read thirty-five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. What's um, the other question? Other question is, uh, what had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are today? My marriage. Your first marriage? Yeah. Wow. Yes. It it just marriage in the fifties 
was you got out of college and if you weren't married within a year and you didn't have a baby within two years, you were brought up on charges by the American <laughs> Civil Liberties Union. I mean, it was just, and so what happened is a lot of people who didn't know who they were married someone else who didn't know who they were and, and they tried the impossible mathematical equation of having one and one equal one. Right. And it didn't work. Right. And then as she advanced and he advanced, it was now trying to make him incorporate what she was interested in and vice versa. And it just was a very, there were those marriages were preordained to, I mean, it's amazing that some of them survived, you know? Right. And I, I feel bad about the fact that I've been married more than once. And, oh. uh, and uh, I would love to, if, uh, I mean, like, uh, I, uh, Al, you know, Alan Zoe Bell? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Alan. Alan. I met, I've become friendly with him recently. And also uh, Phil Rosenthal. Oh, my God. He, the best. Yeah, Phil is, um, I, I was just away at, a place and it turned out that he was there and we sort of knew <laughs> each other but we just spent three days together and nice. he and his wife and their kids it was what i wish i would have had you know it was god knows that he's 30 years younger than i am or and and uh so is alan or and but they have the thing that i missed and and, and i would have loved to have had that I would love to have had, and my kids are great and they've had experiences that yeah. are phenomenal and stuff, but I would have loved that continuity of, of doing it all together. Yeah. Did you, did you encourage them to follow in your footsteps? I mean, you guys are close and they all wound up in show business in some way. No, I never encouraged. They just did. Mm. Were you scared for them when they were entering it or did you feel like? No, I wasn't worried. That's good. I th I knew they were all really capable, mm. and uh, and uh, and it was fun having uh, you know sharing it all with yeah. Them. And I love that uh, my daughter Liza works on things and cameramen and stuff. I said, God, I love working with your dad. How oh, is awesome. he? You know, and the thing I am proud of is that there is nobody I have ever worked with who doesn't like me still and think right. about me. And that's an important thing. Yeah. Um, last question I have for you is, um, what piece of advice would you give a young writer today? And if this was a genuine dystopia, what would you want to be doing? What would be the one thing you'd want to do before uh, the world ended? I would like to finish a couple of the things I didn't finish, which nice. I'm going to do, by the way. I believe you. You know. Yeah. Uh, my favorite is uh, is uh, when my I had a second marriage that didn't work because I couldn't see having another child when my own original kids were fighting for their lives after the first one. So I said, I, I just don't see having another child and. She just wanted child so much. She said, I'll, I, and all I had a thing was to say, not right now, you know? Yeah. But she left and, uh, 
it was devastating and because we really cared about each other and i ended my partnership with sam that week wow because i decided i wanted to be a director mm. and i got custody of my oldest daughter that week because her mother didn't want her in the house so i had a 12 year old troubled child my wife <laughs> and i ended my partnership with no thought of who would hire me as a director i could have been, everybody would hire me as a writer but i wanted to be a director right and so i was stuck i said in the 70s there were five reasons why people were depressed and committing suicide i had six <laughs> and uh at any rate uh, she left and took some of the furniture and i was oh sitting in the apartment in the house rather which i sold mm. a guy from the moving company came to take the rest of the stuff to put it in storage and he said so where are you going and i said to tell you the truth i may as well go with you because i have no idea where i belong so i wow. started wrote a play about a guy who goes into storage with his furniture because he can't figure out where he belongs oh my god how and long did it run it didn't i've oh. I, I actually <laughs> i actually had an offer to do it at the westwood playhouse i had a reading who's that i heard no um i had an offer to do it at the Westwood Playhouse after I had a reading at the Long War Theater. And that was another thing I was afraid of, to do that. I'm sorry I didn't do that. Oh. But I, I rewrote it, or I started to rewrite it, and I said, I, I, I can't keep this being as good as it is. And it was really a great 30 pages. There's still time. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, you got to get he's that. One of the guys a lot older now, and he's doing it for a, a whole other reason. A whole different reason. <laughs> um, well, it was it was honestly great to get to know you for a little bit and to have hey, you on, man. It was my pleasure talking to you. Yeah, we absolutely have to have you back, man, because lots uh, of luck. Kate and Allie, my, oh, that, yeah, you know, yeah. it was lots Kate of stuff Nally to come. is very special. I mean, of course, that girl. Yeah, that girl. Changed yeah. the face of women's thinking. Back yeah. That time anyway great talking to you guys and thank you for making it work on my schedule when i didn't think i could absolutely and, man no uh, problem at all yep. okay great talking to you take Peace. care take bye care. dystopia tonight